Today's episode centers on the art and science of brand strategy in healthcare. We'll feature Chris Bevelo. Chris is a brand guru in residency at Revive Health. I'm going to start by catching him off guard with a very old but still relevant paper that he wrote on unified branding. Chris has some great insights, some fantastic off-the-cuff references. You're really going to enjoy this content. And he also gives us some really solid points about where to go next in branding. Let's go ahead and give it a listen. Patient No Longer is a podcast featuring leaders in healthcare who are inspiring a positive shift in the customer experience and human understanding. In this podcast, we interview people who are from all areas of healthcare that are impacting the healthcare consumer journey of care. My name is Ryan Donahue, solutions expert and strategic advisor with NRC Health. And it's a pleasure to host Patient No Longer, a podcast in search of what's new, what's next, and what makes healthcare human again. Joining us today is Chris Bevelo. It is wonderful to have you here, Chris. How are you? I'm doing good, Ryan. Thank you for having me. I think that we have an interesting topic to cover today that's been near and dear to the work you've done. In fact, a decade and a half ago, you were writing about what this industry of healthcare needs to do about branding. And I've got my paper right here, The Case for Unified Branding, by Chris Bevelo talking about how there's a need for a brand strategy. Even in healthcare, most hospitals, health systems should have a unified brand using the name of the organization as a primary identification for all facilities, services, and centers. Gosh, that makes a lot of sense. And it's like the opposite of where the industry has been, or at least was. Was, yeah. So a lot has changed. I know you've worked through this. You've written a few books in the process. We have had a ton of rebrands. Seems like everybody's hospital or health system nearby has gone through at least one name change. You see it in Becker's every month, right? It was a big, long list. What have those things done for healthcare over the last decade and a half? My answer is super full of wisdom, and it, it depends. It depends on who we're talking about. There are systems that have gone through this the right way, and then there are systems that have gone through this in a way that just continues to muddle things. That paper, which is, oh my gosh, that is a a long time ago. It kind of makes the case that we make things hard on consumers as it is, and then we make it even worse with our convoluted branding and using name structures and all that. So those systems, I think, that are truly unified, that have one name and they've applied it everywhere, that's helpful for them. And that provides clarity for them in the market and for their consumers. And we see this because, Ryan, obviously all the consolidation that's been going on even through COVID. I don't think there's a huge argument against a unified brand. There's a couple of people that have gone the other way. Somebody has to be contrarian, but people get it theoretically. It's in the actual practical application of it that folks fall down. So they want to do it, but they're not ready to do it right away. Or you've got two CEOs and a merger and neither wants to give up their name. So now instead of Donahue Health or Bevelo Healthcare, it's Donahue Bevelo Healthcare. And people are like, what is that? (laughs) And so we just see the mashup is kind of the out. That is not good. That's not helpful. It's just biding time. What's interesting is we tell people all the time who ask us this, people think they're putting off the pain, right? And so they're like, we'll just combine them and then we don't have to deal with the pain. Well, yeah, you do. You just have to deal with the pain later down the road. And by the way, more money again when you have to change everything. It's not like those emotions go away. So 
the answer is it kind of depends who's done it right and who hasn't. Unfortunately, there's still a lot of people that are not doing themselves favors. We talked about that for NRC House Market Insights years ago. We talked about that being the smush brand strategy. Right. You know, we don't want to lose anything. We've had mergers. We've had acquisitions. You know, everyone's consolidated. We'll just put it all together. We won't lose a thing and it'll work, right? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. An example outside of healthcare that drives me nuts is here in the Twin Cities, there's two grocers, Lunds and Byerly's. They have like chandeliers and carpet and all this stuff. And they merged like, I don't know, seven years ago. One bought the other. You guess what their name is. You're not from here, but I bet you can guess it. Lund, Byerly, and Associates. Lund's, Lund's Byerly's. It's like, what are you doing? Why can't you just be Lund's or Byerly's? And they're like, we can't let go of the legacy of either. Yes, yes, you can. Nobody wants to say Lund's Byerly's. It's and, nuts. And probably nobody does. I want to come back to that in a minute because I think you're doing a good job of talking about internally the things we do that you know sounds good to us. Somebody at Yum Brand said we should build a KFC Taco Bell Pizza Hut combination restaurant, right? And you know, that'll work. And then you've got consumers out there saying, hey, hold on, wait a second. But in healthcare, it's not just that we've consolidated. It's that there's new services, right? I mean, urgent care, urgent care cropped up originally in your area. And there's over 2,000 urgent care facilities now. They're growing like crazy. In the last year and a half with COVID, you've got telemedicine, which is this whole new pathway that has completely legitimized itself. And, you know, we've got all kinds of other things. There's chat bots. There's, you know, people that come to you. There's other pathways into healthcare. What do you think in terms of in today's healthcare world, do some of those words still ring true? Do you need to unify as much as possible? Do you need to pull those things into a master brand? Is that doing it right in 2021? Even more so. You've got more offerings, more access points. That makes it more confusing potentially. So if you have a strong brand, why wouldn't you roll those under that brand so people connect all of those dots, right? It makes no sense. Like, so Target introduced drive up shopping. It's all like drive up sparkle and it's at Target. And then over here is like delivery is called delivery RS and by Target. It's just, it's just Target. How do you want to access Target? Do you want to drive up? Do you want it delivered? Do you want to walk in? Whatever drones, I don't know what it is, but it's still Target. So this is the same thing. And we have conversations all the time with health systems where they're partnering with folks. And you get some of these urgent care companies that are trying to build like a national urgent care brand. But if you're partnering with them in your local market, don't seed your name to them or nobody knows what the heck like Pineapple Express is, which would be a great name for an urgent care, by the way. Don't you want people to know that when they walk into the urgent care, it's your urgent care? So when there's a referral into your system, it's natural. So they feel like, oh yeah, I know this hospital. I respect this hospital. It makes sense for me to get my urgent care there. As opposed to, I don't know who Pineapple Express is. I'll go in there for my COVID shot, but I'm not getting real care there because I don't know who that is. So to me, it acts even more important that you have a clear, clean, simple brand association. It's so interesting to me hearing you say that, you know, whether it's a boardroom or whether it's with a marketing team, you know, we've taken in NRC Health's market insights data. This is consumer data and said, listen, you know, consumers in your market, they know who you are, right? We gather awareness. There's some preference for you. They want to be loyal to you. They're not there yet. This describes like every market, right? And you've got to do some work here. 
I think that there's on the inside of the organization, this understanding that yes, we need to be unified. We need to sort of collect all these things and put them in one big container. What do you think falls down? Is there a healthcare confidence issue where, gosh, if I'm partnering with this third party, which is happening more and more, I should really use their name because that's the name consumers know and trust because that doesn't always back up in our data. I mean, consumers tend to know their providers. They tend to trust those providers. What gives there? Why do healthcare systems end up backing down and using some random third-party name? I think it goes to if there's a lack of understanding of the true value of brand, right? So we're talking about names. We're talking about brand architecture. Those are just vessels for a brand, not the brand, right? The golden arches in McDonald's, that's not what makes McDonald's special. That's a symbol in your brain for all the things that McDonald's wants you to feel about them, which is family fun and good times, Ryan, and great food and salads and whatever. That's the brand. Toys. And we still in this industry do not understand that value. And we better get there quick because we've got a book coming out in a few months that looks at the next decade. And one of the things we're looking at is this industry, we know it's been under assault for a long time. You know, even back that paper that's super old, we're talking about the new competition. So we're talking about Walmart, we're talking about Apple, we're talking about Amazon. And people kind of just say, well, they're not seriously going to disrupt things. They keep falling down a little bit. And they do. There are hundreds of billions of dollars that are invested for the big guys and the small guys, the, the startups and the Oak Streets and the One Medicals. They're coming they're coming for legacy hospitals and health systems. And most of these folks understand brand. They understand the true value of brand. Back to your question. If you're a CEO of a health system and you truly understand the value of your brand, you would never cede that to a third party. You would never give that away. That is, many people feel that brand is the most valuable asset on the balance sheet. The goodwill, they say that's brand. And it's worth hundreds of millions of dollars or whatever it is, right? You would never see that. But it happens because people don't think about it that way. They think his brand is just a, we need to get a billboard out there. You talk about brand in such a fantastic way. You know, you really almost talk about it as it's a strategic resource that is yes. so easy for people to miss. And okay, so I made you go way back in the time machine for a minute, although I think those words <laughs> ring true. So when I came to healthcare, I had done a stint for Cartoon Network. We were trying to launch Adult Swim. And I swear, every meeting, every conversation you have with someone, the brand word, the B word came up. It was, we've got to worry about our brand, how it's positioned to our viewers and this segment of viewers and so on. Coming to healthcare 15 years ago, I never heard the word unless I was saying it in those first couple of years. And you know this as well. It's one of the reasons we connected early on. People might not know this, but Chris was instrumental in formalizing some of our branding questions that are still with our consumer surveys today over a decade later. Later. So it's interesting to think about how we talk about it now. I think it's changed a bit. I don't yeah. think it's changed a lot. And you've given us a great time fuse. These huge corporations who their brand is who they are, are absolutely coming for us. Let me ask you this. This is another thing you're talking about right now, in addition to the book coming, this idea of a post-health system brand. I think just when some people are saying, okay, we've really got to line up this health system brand you know, we merged a few years ago, we changed the name, we changed the signs, but we're really trying to pull this together. What do you mean and what do the folks at Revive mean by post-health system brand? The easiest way to explain it is, you know, we have heard, it's kind of become like a cliche or a trope or whatever that 
hey, remember, your brand's not just compared to other health systems. Consumers compare it to the best brands they experience, Amazon, Apple, Uber, right? So you better step up. And I think that's true. As an industry, we have done nothing in response to that. We're like, yeah, that's, that's a great point. And you know what? We're going to continue to build our brands the way we've done for the last 40 years. We're not going to change anything. And so that's what post-health system brand means is move on. It's almost like we're stuck in the 1950s when branding became a thing for real and people would promote like their Fruit Loop cereal based on, you know, we have natural colors. It was all based on promoting something. And health systems today, the vast majority of them, their brands are based on promoting something, which sounds natural, right? It sounds like, well, of course our brand should promote us. Isn't that what a brand should do? No, your brand's job is to position you in the mind of the consumer so that they think of you before they think of other people in the same business as you. So yes, you can do that by promoting yourself, but the opportunity with the post health system brand is to move to something that's called a personality brand, which doesn't mean your brand is like full of character. It means it's rooted in something that is emotional and motivating in your audience. It's not about you, it's about them. So a great example of this, the best example of this in the world is Nike, just do it. Just do it. It's not a brand about how great their shoes are. It's not about how their shoes are cheap or expensive, either one. It's not about the quality of the shoe, the style of the shoe, the shoe innovation, none of that. It's not about the shoe at all. It's about that thing inside their target audience that motivates us to try to wake up earlier to exercise, to do whatever it is to push beyond and not let excuses get in the way and just do it. It's something that the best brands in the world do. So Apple does this, Starbucks does this, Coke does this. One of the best ones when I talk about this is Dodge Charger ad. Do you remember the Dodge Charger ad where it's the British and they're attacking and George <laughs> yes. Washington drives out of the force, right? And his flag's waving and the, the tagline is something like, two things America did right, cars and freedom. And you're like, I know exactly who's going to buy that car. It's yes. perfect. It's a perfect personality brand, right? There's examples in healthcare, but I can count them on like three fingers. So yeah. Thrive from Kaiser is a great example. It's been around forever. The, the one that, that I like to celebrate most recently, and it's still around, it's been around now for eight years, is Dignity Health's Hello Human Kindness. It's an yeah. entire brand built an idea of moving our country to more civility because probably something we could use. And they would say it has a detrimental effect on people's mental and physical health. It's not about their doctors. It's not about how great their facilities. It's certainly not about U.S. News or Report. It's about a higher level need or meaning in their audience that is captivating and will draw people to them. And maybe even an essential thing moving out of COVID, because again, we're up against the Walmarts and the CVS Health and the Apples who know the stuff inside and out. We're not going to win if we keep promoting our U.S. News and World Report. We're just not. We're excited about those things, but yeah, I, I think you're doing a great job of bringing that into the consumer sphere. I always think of like Southwest Airlines, want to get away. It's that mindset of, I want to go somewhere or I have to go somewhere. What do I do? And Southwest, they don't lead with, you know, we have these routes or these technical capabilities on our new 737s. I mean, you, you could imagine if healthcare got a hold of it, you know, it'd be the best you know, morning routes in the Southwest corner of the, that's none of that, it's want to get away. So I love the mindset. I also think you're doing a great job of getting into the consumer's mind here, which sometimes we miss. We get so insular in our own brand and what we want to do. And those things never leave the boardroom and we're out there serving the community. 
So tell me this, in your experience working through those projects, does the consumer mindset get included? And then the external question is, do consumers care? Do they notice system brands? Do they notice brand changes? Is it a blip on the radar? Just tell me a bit more about the consumer side of this. I think when decisions are made and brands are reconsidered, the consumer is discussed and talked about. But to the degree that it's actually the center of the whole effort is definitely up in the air. I just can't imagine if that were true, that we would have to set up four names in them because you had two names, two names <laughs> merged together, so you got four names. If you're serious about the consumer, you would never do that because we're still in an industry that's inside looking out. The power's on the inside. It's about two CEOs coming together. It's about doctors. It's about all that stuff. So while we can talk all day long about consumers and consumerism, it oftentimes doesn't actually end up winning out. Consumers notice this? Yeah, sure they notice it. We have to remember though, again, like these names are a vessel for the actual brand value, right? And so the example I have for that is like, if you're going to create the world's most successful hamburger chain, you're not naming it McDonald's. Nobody goes, hey, you know what? I want a great hamburger. I think of Irish food. No, that is not Scottish, Irish. It doesn't add up, right? The McDonald's brand evolved so that that now is a symbol for something. So your name in some ways is you got to let go a little bit about having the perfect name. The problem becomes when you create a name or have a name that inhibits people perceiving the value that you have. So a lot of times you'll have Anahue County Hospital. Well, now we're statewide. And so people think we're just in Donahue County. That should have a different name. If you have four words in your name, what does that convey about you? Does that convey that you're an easy place to use? Does that convey that you make things clean and simple? What that conveys to me is you can't make a decision, but it is an unconscious level thing, right? It's just one more little hurdle. Why put up one more little hurdle when we've got enough hurdles as it is and what we do? So you could ask them and say, I don't care. But all of this impacts, brand impacts consumers. It's a whole reason you invest in it. This harkens back to a, a webinar we did years ago called Branding Mythbusters. Like you remember that. And yes. one of them was, if we change our name, will it create all this disruption? And really the answer was no, because in a lot of consumers' minds, they sort of look past some of those things. They know where you are. They know what you do. They're not stupid. They're smart about this. I think you're so right in that consumers, they're going to use their own language in a lot of ways. If you've got a ridiculous name or it's really long or it's the smush brand, they're just going to use their old shorthand. And it's not just consumers, it's employees too. Right. So you've really got to take their input in if you want more than say the board and senior leadership to be using the correct name. And they're probably still with their index card, right? Trying to cheat during the meetings. I want to ask you this because you find people in this situation and maybe it's because of what you just outlined where your name is too long or you've gotten out of your element, you know, you're in a new location, you're across state lines, whatever reason that, that is really saying, okay, here's a trigger. We need to consider a rebrand. What is one thing you absolutely should do? And this could be for anybody in the organization, but one thing you absolutely should do when you're rebranding and one thing you should absolutely avoid? Those are good questions. One thing you absolutely should do is 100% you should take the pulse of your market on the names that exist, right? You should understand the value that exists in the existing names. Sometimes that will help you make a decision. So if you're merging, 
and you've got one name that's just got a stellar reputation or is well-known and the other one's not as well-known, that might help push you one way or the other. But the reason I'm saying do this is in the end, you're building the brand for what you want it to be. So don't just follow the consumers because they could take you right off a cliff. The main reason you do it is because if you don't, people are going to slaughter you all the way through the process. They're going to say, did you talk to the customer? Did you talk to... It's like, (laughs) yeah, we talked to the customer. Done. Check. I'm a huge believer in you can ask consumers whatever you want, but what they tell you is not actually correlated to how they behave. So you can ask people like, what do you think of this new name? What do you think of this new logo, Ryan? And you can be like, oh, I like the color red, but I'm not sure I like it round. You should make it square. <laughs> They're not see their doctor with you anymore because you made it square or round right. or whatever they didn't like. They're just giving you an answer. They have no idea how that logo impacts them, but you can ask them, right? But you've got to do it because there's still this expectation, right? So I would say do it for sure. There's a lot of value in it, but you got to have a giant grain of salt. So it's really important to do that. What not to do, never forget. Number one obstacle. The number one obstacle to do the right thing with the brand is not what the consumer research says. It's not what the business plan says. It's not what your history says. It is emotion, irrationality, and ego. We put that up on a slide at the beginning. We put it up in the middle and we put it up at the end. That is what will take you off the right path. It is not rational business variables or indicators or metrics or goals. It is people. And people get weird when it comes to changing names. People get their egos tied up in it, whether it's two CEOs coming together, whether it's a physician group. It always kills me. A physician group will sell to a health system. And then they'll just like light the torches because somebody wants to change them. It's like, you sold your business. You care about the name, but you literally sold all the assets and have no power anymore. Like what? I don't understand that, but it happens all the time. Yes. It's all about emotion. And instead of like trying to wish that away or just say, well, we're not like that. Everybody's like that. And you got to acknowledge it. You got to put it on the table and you got to call it out when you see it because you will see it. I love that. You know, sometimes we go through this so scientifically that we forget about the emotion and we try to move past it with our process or with our testing. And, you know, listen, I've worked in consumer research for years and years and years, and we've collaborated. And I agree with you. Sometimes people, it's so extreme. They go from not including any consumer input, right? Because, well, my spouse or my friend says this, so I know what consumers think, right? Even though you're way too close to the fire. If you know anything about the mission of the organization, if you can recite half of it, you're not an average consumer. To all the way on the other end saying, well, consumer, tell me how to do my job. You know, why can't you figure this out for me? And consumers like, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's a lot of middle ground here to include our input or to study us, but know there's a margin of error. No, ultimately you've got to do this work. It's got to come from you. It also is how you think about it is as important as the data itself. And we had a customer that was considering a name change and they wanted to go to, I'm going to make it up, Donahue Healthcare. And we said, why would you go to healthcare? Like everybody's going to health. They're broadening their value proposition, you know, and they're like, well, the survey results show that consumers recognize healthcare more than health. They understand what it means. Yeah. If you want to understand what it means in 1997, if you want to be tied to how things used to be, go for it. But if you're like the rest of the industry trying to look ahead, 
consumers don't understand what's ahead. That's not their job. So you're literally tying yourself. It'd be like a, a horse and buggy company in 1910 going, well, they don't know what an automobile is. So we're going to stick with horse and buggy. Oh, okay. Good luck to you, sir. So the data is important, but you've got to know how to interpret it and go, I understand that's what they're saying, but of course that's what they're saying. Or when people try to change their name and they say, look, people love Bevelo Healthcare. Look at right. all the high awareness of Bevelo. Well, of course, it's the only name you've been using for 40 years. What do you expect? You change your name and in three years and you do it right, they'll remember Donahue Health. Of course, they remember Bevelo Healthcare. That doesn't mean that's what you stick with. So Revive Health is now Revive. I think you just mentioned broadening the value proposition, and I, I read a little bit about that. What was that like, though, from your point of view, being a brand expert in healthcare and then your organization going through a rebrand? Well, first of all, we didn't do it ourselves. There's so nothing awesome. harder than trying to rebrand. Luckily, our sister agency is Future Brand, which is a, one of the top branding firms in the world. So we were able to leverage their process and their expertise. Never do that ourselves. And it's just fascinating what you learn because you have somebody who's objectively looking at you and they're telling you things you're like, that's totally right. And yet we've never seen that. One of the things in our research was we're only healthcare. We're an agency that's, that only works with healthcare firms. What we found was we were encountering example health system CMOs that were coming in from outside of healthcare, right? We're seeing that trend. Sure. So they're brought in from somewhere else and they're like, well, I'm hired because I'm not in healthcare and I'm supposed to disrupt how we do things. I can't hire an agency. It's called Revive Health. Your name can't be an inhibitor to people like understanding the value of your brand. And for a lot of people, the word health stuck us in with the problem of the industry, even though if you know us and you know me, Ryan, we've been mm -hmm. fighting for the industry to change like mad for as long as we've been doing this. We cut the health for that reason and also because we don't want to be seen as working only for or here for brands that are 100% health. We want to help any brand that's moving into health, but it may not be 100% health brand, right? So Walmart's a great example. Walmart Health, we would imagine is going to be a growing presence in this space. We're here for them because we understand the market. We understand consumers. They're not 100% healthcare. So that's why we changed the name. It was because that health, I really didn't know, was an inhibitor. Okay, so that's fascinating. And what was it like for you? Was it easy for you to listen to a third party, you know, sister organization? Were you in there saying, now, hold on a second, I know this or I know that? That had to just be fascinating that you personally lived through this with all the experience you've had. No, it was great. It was a, an amazing experience. Because again, we're working with people that are incredibly smart and great at this stuff, better than I am. I mean, Future Brand is right up there. For us, this was a conundrum. We only work with health brands in the health space. And for them to solve that riddle, you're just inside the paper bag and you can't find your way out of it. And somebody like from outside opens <laughs> the top and says, oh, look, there's daylight. So when they come forward with that stuff, you're just like, oh, yes. After the fact, you're like, that's amazing. But we would have never done that on our own because you just can't do that for yourself very well. So it was a great experience. I was fortunate enough to move into my new position at the outset of it, chief brand officer. So I've got, I'm kind of like the OB yeah. in the situation, right? Somebody got pregnant with this amazing baby and then it got delivered and I was there to catch it, <laughs> right? I'm not responsible. You got all the glory. <laughs> 
I was part of it, but there's just a whole group of people at the agency that were part of it. And then I got to help launch it. So I'm just really fortunate with that, but it's been great. I love our new brand. You go look at it and you'll be like, what is that? That's totally different. We will link to it in the blog article. And it's been great to have you join, especially on this topic, Chris, the chief baby catching officer. I mean, chief brand officer of now Revive. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good conversation.